And so as you're grabbing your seat, go ahead and get your Bibles out and open them to Genesis chapter 45. We in Genesis chapter 45. While you're turning there this morning, I want to share with you a little bit of encouragement. Pastor Travis and I uh, double-checked our Easter egg hunt sign-ups earlier this morning, and with the volunteers and all of those that are already pre-registered, we are close to 200 people already signed up for this thing, and many of those are not the people here at Fellowship Olathe, so thank you. I want to say thank you for helping us with that. That's, yes, that's word of mouth. So continue to, to, to pass those out. That's Facebook ads and things like that. But we need y'all's help to let as many people know about that event as possible. We want to try to connect them to our church. And ultimately, we just want to do something uh, nice for our community, right? That's the whole idea with this thing. It's not bait and switch. It's just come here with your families and enjoy yourself. And then it gives us the opportunity as a church to rub shoulders with people. So we still need your help uh, bringing candy, filling eggs and helping us get the word out because remember we had a big goal of 500 people on site for that event and we are well on our way very very encouraged wanted to share that with you guys here this morning all right so Genesis chapter 45 if you guys were here last week you'll remember that uh, we we set up this idea of reconciliation between Joseph and all of his brothers. And so we looked at chapters 42, 43, and 44 because they really all fit together as one big story. And if you remember, Joseph has been established as second in command of all of Egypt and he's been put in charge of the plan to collect all the food and now distribute the food in the time of famine. And as he's uh, doing his daily work and standing there meeting with people and selling food and grain to them, uh, the these 10 guys walk in that he recognizes, and it's his brothers. And so all these feelings of his past uh, begin to come up, and, and it, it gave us this beautiful picture of reconciliation. Really, it began to lay the foundation for reconciliation. And so we talked about that last week, and it really culminates this week in chapter 45. And what we're going to see here this morning is a beautiful picture of forgiveness, because we all know this to be true. In order for there to be genuine reconciliation, there has to be forgiveness on Joseph's part towards his brothers. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And before we even jump into this text, let me just start out by saying this. And I've said this to you guys multiple times, but we're going to talk about something here this morning that is very, very easy to agree with in this word, right? When we all talk about forgiveness and the need to forgive other people, we would all look at this word and say, that's right, that's what we're supposed to do. We should all forgive, right? But it's uh, quite another thing to actually live out in our lives, right? And every single person that's sitting in here in this room, you've had to ask for forgiveness and you've needed to give forgiveness at some point in your life. For me, it was this week. Already, so show of hands, real quick. Anybody like join me in needing to, to seek or or give forgiveness this week? Good. I feel it makes me feel a little bit better that I'm I'm not alone. God, like He normally does to me, whenever I'm studying a passage of Scripture, I feel like He just forces me to live it out. I know Pastor Chad says that all the time, and I agree 100%. It's like, okay, Jeremy, when you're studying forgiveness this week, I'm going to put you in some situations where you're going to have to offer forgiveness, but more importantly, you're going to have to seek forgiveness, right? And I was in a couple of those situations this week, even with some of my kids that I had to go to and say, hey, 
Daddy, it needs you to forgive me for something that I've done or how I've acted or something that I've said. And so very, very difficult to put into practice. Very, very easy to agree with in premise, right? And so that's why what we're going to talk about this morning is going to be so difficult. And I also know this to be true. I also know that in a room this size, there are many people sitting here who have been offended and taken advantage by somebody in a massive way. And so when we talk about this idea of forgiveness, I know that all kinds of feelings and all kinds of emotions begin to swirl in your mind. And I'm just asking you, as your pastor this morning, to just not listen to what I'm saying, but listen to what God's word says as a demonstration of what we're to do when it comes to forgiving people. Because like I said, it's not easy, but it's something that we're all called to ask for, and it's something we're all called uh, to, to receive. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into our text this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And God, I do thank you for the fact that you use the classroom of life and all, and all of us, God, to, to force us to do business with these things, God. And I just pray that, uh, that this morning, God, that you would uh, challenge us with your word. God, I pray that you would uh, bring us to a place, God, where we conform our lives uh, to you and to what your word says, God. If there's anything in us this morning, anything that we hear that we bristle against, God, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would bring us to a place of conviction, that you'd bring us to a place of softening our hearts, God, making us open and willing to offer forgiveness to those that desperately need it, Father. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Men. All right, so as I said, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 45 this morning. Really, really good news for you. One chapter, and it's only 28 verses long, so, so this, is, this is good, really good. All right, so here we go. We're jumping in. Verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Let me stop here just to give us a little bit of brief context. Remember, he had met his brothers. He had tested them to see if they were a little bit different, if they were different men. He, he come up with this whole thing about putting the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. They find the silver cup. Benjamin's supposed to stay there with him forever. His brother Judah steps up and says, no, like I can't let this happen to Benjamin. Uh, I want to offer myself to stay in his place. This whole substitutionary idea. I will stay on behalf of Benjamin here. Remember, Joseph was trying to get to the bottom of, are these guys changed? Or are these the same old brothers that sold me into slavery 20-something years ago? And he realizes through the actions of his brothers and through, through the demonstration of, of, of what Judah had done, that these guys were no longer the same guys. That in fact they had changed and God had done a transformative work in their lives. So he wants to be able to reveal himself to them. If you remember last week I made the comment that all through those three chapters he was very controlled. Do you remember that? Like in every instance with them he, he talked with them sternly. He was very controlled and if he, if he ever uh, got emotional about something he would step out of the room and then come back in, in another controlled uh, sense, right, in a manner. So he, he, never, he never tipped his hand to them. He never showed any real emotion in front 
of them, he would always do that in private. And here in these first two verses, we see in verse 1, it says that Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you just could no longer control yourself emotionally? And I mean, whatever was inside just came outside. You know what I'm talking about? You start making the sounds. You, do, you guys know what I'm talking about? You're like, I'm going to keep it together. I'm going to keep you. <laughs> you start doing that. Like one of those sneaks out on you. And you're like, that's super embarrassing. I get that way every time I share my testimony. I get that way every time. See, I'm about to do it right now. That's weird. I didn't even plan on that. Just the thought, just saying it. My testimony or talking about the things that, that, that my dad has done in my life and the example that he set, it gets me to this. Where your voice is cracking and you're trying to hold it together and you get one of those squeaky little sounds that comes out and, and, and then eventually it just, the overflow, it just comes, right? And, and at this point in Joseph's, in, in the story with Joseph, there, there, there is no more sounds, there is no more uh, control whatsoever. It says he loses control. Not only does he cry, but it says he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. These are guys that he sent out of the room. This guy is, is weeping so loudly. He's, he's, a, he's a crying, slobbery mess in this moment, right? Because he realizes what he's about to do. He realizes his brothers are changed and he wants so badly to reveal to them who he is. And look at verse 3. And it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. And certainly they were dismayed, right? These guys think that Joseph is dead. They have no idea what has happened to him. And the guy that's standing before them, remember, they think that, that he's just some ruler in Egypt. They have no idea who this guy is. And in this weird sequence of events, you know that they probably had a lot of questions. Right before he reveals himself, they're like, what is happening here? Right? This guy just starts weeping aloud. He sends everybody out of the room. What, what, what is this? And then he reveals himself to them as their brother, and they were dismayed at his presence. I'm sure they were, they were dumbfounded. They were awestruck. They had no idea what he was about to do. Look at verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, at this point, if you put yourself in the brother's shoes, they're probably having a little bit of a panic attack, right? They have no idea how he's going to respond. They know that he's revealed himself uh, to them as their brother. And they know that the last time they saw this guy, that they had beaten him and that they had sold him into slavery and that they had ignored all of his pleas for them to save him and spare his life. And now he's second in command of all of Egypt. And he's standing before them and he reveals to them that I'm your brother. And then he adds that last little part. The one you sold into Egypt. I can only imagine all the thoughts racing through these guys' minds. That what is he going to do? What is he going to decide? And, and make no mistake about it. Whatever Joseph decides to do right here is what is going to happen. Right? No one... No one other than, the only person more powerful than Joseph in this story right now is, is uh, um, 
I'm, and I'm totally, totally blanking. Uh, Pharaoh, exactly. It was Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh. The only person more uh, in higher authority in this moment than Joseph is Pharaoh himself. And whatever Joseph says goes. So if Joseph decides these guys are to be executed, they're going to take them out and they're going to execute them. And if he decides that they go to jail, then they're going to take them out and they're going to throw them in prison. And if Joseph decides that I'm going to make you experience all the horrible, terrible things that you made me go through, he could make them experience that. But we're about to see that that's not how Joseph responds. Look at verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all of his house and ruler of over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you for there are yet five years of famine to come. So that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and he wept on them. After this his brothers talked. With him Now remember, the key to really genuine reconciliation here is forgiveness on behalf of Joseph. And he's at a crossroads in this moment. Like I said, whatever Joseph decides is going to happen is what's going to happen. And this is his one and only opportunity to take revenge upon his brothers for all the things that they have done. But yet he responds not only with grace and mercy, but he responds with forgiveness. And forgiveness that is really motivated and driven by a proper theology that he has. He has has an understanding here that is really, really difficult for most of us to get to. But Joseph understands that he's able to forgive his brothers in this moment. Because even though he had gone through so many terrible, terrible things, he was not in control of any of those things. The only thing he was in control of was how he would respond to those things and how he would trust God. That God had a bigger plan in store throughout this whole deal. And that bigger plan in store was not for him to experience all that hardship for nothing. But it was for him to go through what he went through so that he could be in Egypt to be able to provide salvation. Not only for his brothers, but for generations and generations of Israelites to come. This was God's plan all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. Do you remember that? God told Abraham when he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He says, but it's going to be by way of Egypt. And you'll be in Egypt for 400 years in bondage before you make it back to the land. And that was all part of God's plan for preservation and salvation for his people. And God is using 
this famine, and he's using the, all the things that Joseph went through to accomplish his purposes in this moment. And because Joseph trusts so much in God and, in, and, and focused more upon what God has called him to do and what God has set before him to endure, he's focused more on that than he is what his brothers did to him. He is able to respond to them in the way that he does with grace and mercy and forgiveness and a proper understanding that this was done by God to preserve, excuse me, to preserve life. It's not by your hands that any of this happened, but ultimately it was God who allowed this to happen so that these things could take place. And then he responds to them, not just by saying, saying he forgives them, but he demonstrates forgiveness to them through his actions. The Bible tells us that he hugs his brothers and he kisses them and he weeps on them. And in this incredible moment, this intimate moment, this beautiful moment with he and his brothers, it solidifies reconciliation to the point to where it says that now he and his brothers are sitting around talking. Now if you rewind the clock 20 years this, this is an incredible thought that these guys would ever be back in right relationship with one another because so much hurt had taken place. And yet that's what we see happening in this story and it's what we see all throughout this book. And that's why this is so difficult for us. It's because God calls us to the same thing. God calls us to be forgiving people even when we don't feel like forgiving those who have wronged us. But he, he calls us to trust in him, to trust in his greater plan, and to not walk and live our whole lives holding everybody accountable for all the little things they do without forgiving them. So let's continue on in this story and see uh, the response even here from Pharaoh from this situation because it's a beautiful story. Verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house... Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. I don't know why, but he gets more clothes, right? Apparently he gets dirty a lot. He eats like me and gets stuff all over his shirt and needs... Needs a couple changes of clothes. Verse 23. To his father he sent as follows. Ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father and the journey. Then he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, do not quarrel along the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. Now let me stop here just for a second. Because this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of the forgiveness that we experience with God the Father, right? 
Pharaoh in this story to me so vividly represents God the Father and Joseph is a type of Christ in the story, right? And, and through this, we see genuine reconciliation. We see genuine forgiveness bestowed upon guys who definitely didn't deserve it. And it's not like they just said, okay, you're forgiven. I'm not going to punish you. Go about your business and leave. No, what do they get instead? They get everything. Not only is the relationship restored with Joseph, but you are restored to the point to where you're just 100% back in the family again. I want you to take the wagons. You go get dad. You go get all the wives. You go get all the kids. You bring them here to Egypt. And when you come back to Egypt, we're not just going to put you in this like little uh, raggedy corner over here in Egypt. Right? No, you're going to go to Goshen. You're going to get the best of the land. You're going to eat of the fat of the land. We're in the middle of a famine, but you're not going to feel like you're in a famine because everything you need is going to be taken care of and it's going to be given to you. And to me, it's just a vivid picture of what we experience when we are reconciled to God. Men and women who deserve nothing less than separation from God forever in a place called hell. But instead, what do we get? We get a right relationship with God. We get forgiveness of our sins, and we're grafted in immediately to the family of God. We're not left over in a little corner to kind of fend for ourselves, but we get everything that God has to offer. It's the same picture that we see here in this story. Real reconciliation and forgiveness, when it comes from God, is, is a type of forgiveness that doesn't make any sense. Remember we talked about that last week, the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is withholding what somebody deserves. Grace is this. It's not only withholding what they deserve, but it's giving them what they don't deserve. Go get everyone in the family. You're moving to Egypt, and we're going to take care of you just like we never had the problems that we had before. What an unbelievable picture. Like I said, it's the picture that, that all of us experience when we come into right relationship with God. No questions asked, immediately grafted back into the family of God. And at our disposal is everything that God the Father has to offer. He provides the reconciliation. He provided forgiveness. He provides the means by which we can be saved. The only thing we provide in the whole scenario is, is the sin that required him to have to do this, right? Same thing is true of these brothers. The only thing that they're bringing to the table is all their terrible past actions that require reconciliation to be made in this moment. That's all they have to bring. But yet none of that matters. That's why it's so incredible. It's why it, 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 it's, it's mind-boggling, this level of forgiveness. It, it's something that, that I would argue that the, a lost and dying world knows nothing of. This kind of forgiveness doesn't make sense to people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What the world wants is justice. What the world wants is revenge and vengeance. You ever heard somebody say that? Just go to any discussion thread that you can find on the internet, Facebook or anywhere, and let somebody bring up this idea of forgiveness and see what some of the comments are. You'd be shocked to find that the majority of the comments are not, yes, that's what we're called to do as believers is to forgive. No. No, in fact, most of the comments are like, no, they, they, they should get what they deserve. 
such venom, such hatred, such, such vengeance. And I can understand why they want that because they've been hurt. They've been wounded. Listen, some people have experienced things this side of heaven that are unbelievable and I'm not trying to diminish that. But it still doesn't mean that we are not called as believers to offer forgiveness regardless of whether the person deserves it or not. Because it's the exact same situation we found ourselves in with God the Father. People who do not deserve grace, mercy, and forgiveness that God bestows on freely. It's a beautiful Beautiful picture. Let's finish out these last couple verses. Look at verse 26. Let's back up to 25. So they went out of Egypt and they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. I can only imagine what this moment must have been like for Jacob. To think a son or a daughter, somebody that you love so dearly, had been dead for 20-something years just to find out that he is, in fact, still alive. And this is a crazy description. It says, his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Have you ever got news that was just too good to be true? Cause a little skepticism to creep up inside you like, I don't, I don't know if I want to believe that, right? One time I was on Facebook and this thing popped up and said I'd won a million dollars. And I'm like, I don't know if I should click on this or not. <laughs> I didn't know. I feel like I used my better judgment in that moment. But you're like, you know, that's too good to be true. And upon hearing that his son Joseph was still alive, Jacob responds the bible says with his heart being numb and not believing them like this cannot be this doesn't make any sense that's this is too good to be true in this moment verse 27 says when they had told him all the words of joseph which he had said to them and he saw the wagons that joseph had sent to carry him the spirit of their father jacob revived and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Just to further add to the story, this already beautiful story of reconciliation and forgiveness, you now see this picture of a father who thought that his son was dead and gone 20-something years ago is now still alive. And he goes through these emotions. Like I said, it's too good to be true. It seems like too, too, too good of a thing to be able to wrap your brain around. But yet it says that when he sees the wagons that Joseph had sent, that his spirit was revived and he began to believe that this must be true. When he understood more of the details, his heart was revived and he was able to, to believe. And again, we talked about the imagery in this text. Of, of God the Father and us being reconciled and forgiven and having everything that God has to offer at our disposal. And the same thing is true in this moment right here. When, when Jacob hears this good news, he, his first initial response is, that seems too good to be true or that seems too easy. 
right? And it reminded me of the same thing when, when I first heard about the good news of the gospel, what God had to offer. That was one of my first thoughts. There's got to be a catch to this thing, right? Like, you mean to tell me that, like, God will just forgive me of all the horrible, terrible things that I've done? And just forgive me. And he's just going to... He's just going to pull me into his family and like I just get to go to heaven forever? Like what's the catch? This seems too easy, right? Like it, something seems off here. It's the same thing we see here in the text with, with Joseph, or excuse me, with Jacob. Upon hearing the good news that this seems too good to be true. But when he finds out and realizes that it is true, his spirit is revived. The same thing was true for me. When I gave my heart and my life to Christ, my spirit was revived. And it still to this day doesn't make full sense to me. I am so grateful that God offers us salvation as a free gift, but it still seems crazy, right? In fact, it seems crazy to the entire world. Because every other world religion requires you to do something. To be good enough, to try harder, to do something, right? But what we believe is, is that your role in this whole thing is to just trust and believe that God offers this to you as a free gift. So it can be hard to believe for some people, but what a beautiful picture in this narrative here of, of reconciliation and forgiveness. And like I said, we as believers are called to forgive. We're called to be forgiving people. So before we, before we settle down and, and leave here this morning, I've got a, a couple brief things that I want to challenge us with. Like I said, and, and my hope and my prayer all week has been that these things, these truths, as we talk about them, that you would not bristle against these things because these aren't Jeremy's ideas. These are, these are God's word about forgiveness. But that we wouldn't bristle against them and fight against them, but, if, but that we would allow our hearts to be softened towards people that, that need our forgiveness in this, all right? So a couple of quick practical things when it comes to forgiveness on our end. Number one is this. Understand that we all live with the consequences of other people's sins. We all live with the consequences of other people's sins. That's just a fancy way to say that we live in a broken and fallen world. And you will be wronged. Someone at some point is going to do something to you that's hurtful. That's going to require you to extend forgiveness. That's going to require them to seek forgiveness. But whether they seek it or not, we are called to give it. And I think that's what's so challenging about the thought of forgiveness. I mean, the very definition of forgiveness requires that some offense has to be made. That's why we don't like forgiving, right? It's why it's, why it's hard for us to forgive. Because, because in order to, to forgive, it means that we have to, we have to come to a place of, of understanding that somebody has done something against us. That's why forgiveness is such a difficult thing. But we have to understand that when we live in a broken and sinful world, that we will experience hurt. People will sin against us. Now, I'm not justifying any, anybody's actions. I'm just simply saying as believers, we are called to forgive them whether we want to or not. Whether we feel like it or not. 
And I hope that one thing that helps you in this is that, that you would just remember that you cannot control the behavior of other people around you. The only thing you can control is your response towards them. And that's it. So people will sin against you. People will hurt you. People will do mean, horrible, despicable things in this life. But it does not change the fact that we've been called to forgive and remember that we can't control other people. We can only control our response and trust that God has our ultimate good in mind. And remember, remember this though, that God's ultimate good for all of us in this room has always been rooted in eternity. Not this life, but eternity. See, Jesus could swoop down and he could keep every little bad thing from, uh, that could possibly happen to us. He, he, he could do that. He could swoop down and shield us from any terrible thing happening. But we would still die and go to hell separated from him. So God's solution to this brokenness and sin problem was an eternal solution. So we still have to navigate days to day through terrible things which are going to require us to extend forgiveness and it's going to require us to seek forgiveness. And remember, we can only control our response. When I was reading through this text and I saw how Joseph responded to his brothers, it reminded me of a New Testament example that we have in the Bible. In the book of Acts, Acts tells us about a guy named Stephen who, like Christ, while being stoned to death, asked God to forgive the people around him that are doing this terrible, terrible act to him. And it's this unbelievable picture of forgiveness. How can somebody forgive people like that? And I would, I would argue with you that it's only because of Stephen's relationship with Christ that he's able to do this. You see, Stephen had an eternal perspective that allowed him to be able to forgive and let go of some of the things in this life because he knew that this wasn't it. He had an eternity to be with God in a place that would never be painful, that he would never have to experience people doing things to him like this. But it was only because of what God had done in his life. So understand that we'll live with the consequences or that we live in a world full of consequences of other people's sins, but we are called to forgive them whether we feel like it or not. Side note to this real fast. I saw, I came across something on the internet this week that was something I had never thought of before, but it was a power, powerful imagery to me in this moment. It said that Paul, think about this for a second, that Paul entered into heaven at the cheers of those that he martyred. And it went on to say, now that's grace. That's what we're talking about here. As believers, we're called to a level of forgiving people that doesn't make sense to the world around us. And we're going to have to do it often because we live in a broken and sinful world. Number two, we must consciously choose to not be ruled by anger, bitterness, and vengeance. Consciously choose to not be ruled by anger, bitterness, and vengeance. It's our default mode. When somebody wrongs us, we immediately respond with anger and bitterness 
and vengeance. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we're able to respond in a way that offers forgiveness and grace and mercy. But it's a conscious choice. I want to read a story to you guys real fast. About uh, two or three years ago, I'm not going to go into the full uh, backstory of this, but, but in, in, um, in Texas, there was an incident where an off-duty police officer entered an apartment that did not belong to her, and she shot and killed a young man while he was eating ice cream in his own house who was, just happened to be a believer. And so did his brother. His brother happened to be a believer as well. And when he took the witness stand at her sentencing, uh, he said something unbelievably powerful. And it reminded me of this this week about forgiveness. And I want to read it to you. Mind you, this is an 18-year-old kid. And he's saying this to the woman who shot and killed his brother. This is the transcript. This is Brant Jean talking to... Amber Geiger, it says, if you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself and not on behalf of my family, but I love you just like anyone else. How difficult would that be to say? And I'm not going to say, I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I personally want the best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what both of them would have wanted you to do. And the best would be for you to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if it's possible, but can I give her a hug, please? What a powerful, powerful example to a lost and dying world of what genuine forgiveness looks like. This man is saying this to the woman who took his brother's life. And it looks to me an awful lot like Christ in this moment to a person who definitely doesn't deserve it. But it's going one step further. Remember, it's not just saying I hope that, that I forgive you. He's saying I want the best for you. My prayer is that you would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Not that you would go and spend forever rotting away in a jail cell. And to me, it just demonstrated the heart of somebody who's a follower of Jesus when it comes to this topic of forgiveness. That we would consciously choose not to be ruled by anger, bitterness, and vengeance, but instead we would long, long for people to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that we would extend grace and mercy towards them like it's been extended towards us. Number three, really quickly, remember that meaningful forgiveness is more than just words. Remember that meaningful forgiveness is more than just words. I've got five kids. And you guys know the drill if you've ever been around little ones. In fact, a lot of us are kind of like this even as adults. So I can't be too hard on the kids. But they're a good example of times when it says you need to apologize to your sister. And you need to go ask for forgiveness. And then we go to the other one and we say... And you need to have a heart of forgiveness and you need to be willing to forgive your brother or sister for what they've done. 
And how many times do you see it? The person comes and the, the, the apology's half-hearted, of course. Like, I'm sorry, right? And then, then the one responding is like, I forgive you, right? And it's just this picture of like, do you, though? Do you forgive them? Because like, I feel like we need to stop and have a family meeting right in the middle of all this to figure this out, right? But, but that's the, the, what I'm talking about here is as Christians, remember that meaningful forgiveness is more than just words, Now, let me say this. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not consequence-free. It doesn't mean that there's no justice, and it doesn't mean that you don't even have to establish some boundaries with some people in your life that have hurt you. But what I am saying, though, is, is meaningful forgiveness is more than just words. It requires you to help the person that you're saying that you're forgiving feel forgiven. You understand the difference? I'm just saying I forgive you and making a person feel forgiven. I love that in this text, in this story here. That Joseph just doesn't say, I forgive you guys. We'll just pretend like this thing never happened, you know. No, he embraces his brothers. He weeps on his brothers. They reconcile It was meaningful forgiveness because he made it more than just words. And I get some of you are like, listen, you don't know what's done to me. And I'm I'm not giving you a timetable. There's some things that some of you in here may have to work through with some people. And know that your relationship with certain people, if they've done certain things to you, may never be the same again. But there's still ways that you can make them feel forgiven. Just like in this case, I read this story. That's why he wanted to see if he could hug her. So that she knew that what he was saying was more than just words. He demonstrated to her that he had forgiven her. And number four, real quick, is we forgive because we've been forgiven. We forgive because we have been forgiven of so much. Let me ask you a quick question. When you read this story of Joseph and his brothers and you put yourself in this story, who are you? I know every time I read it, I kind of default to Joseph. And it becomes all about me extending forgiveness to someone else. But the truth of the matter is that we are the brothers. We are the offenders. We're not the ones offering forgiveness. We are the ones seeking forgiveness. We are the ones who have committed sin. We are the ones who have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's God who offers the forgiveness. So when we keep that in proper perspective, it constantly reminds us that I am to be forgiving to those around me because I have been forgiven. If you have genuinely experienced the forgiveness of God, you will be quick the desire to offer forgiveness to those people around you because you've been through it and you understand what it feels like to be on that end of things. And that's what God offers to all of us. He offers us the opportunity to be reconciled and forgiven. And that's the ultimate beauty of this whole book. This book is about how much we fall short and how good God is towards us. You can summarize the Bible in that way. And God offers us forgiveness of our sins freely. 
The Bible tells us that we can have a right relationship with God if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. It's that simple. And like Jacob, you might be sitting here going, sounds too good to be true. That's too easy. It is that easy. And in some ways, it is too good to be true. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact that an infinitely holy God would forgive me of all the junk in my life. But he does, and he offers it freely to me, and he offers it freely to you. So I'm going to pray this morning, and then we're going to have a time of response. As I say each and every week, I pray that the Holy Spirit is very specific where I've been vague. And when we talk about this idea of forgiveness, I want you to pray about that. Is there anybody in your life that you need to truly forgive? Is there anybody that you've been been keeping anger and bitterness and vengeance towards? Let me challenge you today. Let that go. Lay that at the feet of Christ and ask God to help you to forgive Maybe for some of you in the room, you are the offender and you know that there's somebody that you need to go to and seek their forgiveness. Don't wait any longer than today. Reach out to them. Ask for forgiveness. Own whatever it is that you've done. Maybe for some of you in this room this morning, you just need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. We would love to talk to you about that down here this morning. Let me pray for us and then we will be dismissed. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for uh, just the fact that, God, you do offer us forgiveness of our sins. God, even though we don't deserve it, you still offer it to us freely, God. I pray that you would work on all of our hearts here this morning. God, as we talk about this subject of forgiveness and reconciliation, God, it can be so incredibly difficult. God, because if we're honest There's just some people that we don't want to forgive. And they don't deserve it. We don't feel like it. But God, I pray that you would work on our hearts. God, I pray that you would conform us into the image of your son. And that you would drive us to the end of ourselves. And we ask that you move and work freely in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.